My friends, would you please stand with me as we read this morning from Matthew chapter 20. I'm actually going to start reading uh, a little bit sooner in Matthew 19, but if you would turn there with me and stand together in honor of the Lord's word. I'm starting in chapter 19, verse uh, 27, and reading through verse 16 of chapter 20. Again, let's now listen to the Lord's word. Then Peter said to him, Behold, we have left everything and followed you. What then will there be for us? And Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, that you who have followed me in the regeneration, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you also shall sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or farms for my name's sake will receive many times as much and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. When he had agreed with the laborers for a denarius for the day, he sent them into his vineyard. And he went out about the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to those he said, You also go into the vineyard, and whatever is right I will give you. And so they went. Again he went out about the sixth and the ninth hour and did the same thing. And about the eleventh hour he went out and found others standing around. And he said to them, Why have you been standing here idle all day long? And they said to him, Because no one hired us. He said to them, You go into the vineyard too. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last group to the first. When those hired about the eleventh hour came, each one received a denarius. When those hired first came, they thought that they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they grumbled at the landowner, saying, These last men have worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have, been born the, who have borne the burden and the scorching heat of the day. But he answered and said to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what is yours and go. But I wish to give to this last man the same as to you. Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with what is my own? Or is your eye envious because I am generous? So the last shall be first. And the first, last. This is the Lord's word. Would you please be seated, friends? Again, Father, we thank you for your word and pray that your blessing be upon this servant and upon these, your people. We ask, Father, that Christ, Christ would be honored, that the kingdom of Satan would suffer injury, and that your people would be blessed as we all together look upon, again, the marvelous grace of our Lord Jesus. We ask this in his name humbly. Amen. Friends, do you remember when you became a Christian? My, my conversion, and I allude to it periodically, uh, my conversion was preceded by probably nine months, uh, just like that character in John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress, the one who had the big boulder strapped to his back. For nine months, I, I bore this terrible burden. It was a weight that was unbearable to me. 
and I was wasting away. I, almost like the psalmist talks about in Psalm 32, there were my, I was like wax inside me, and my bones were broken. But then on that glorious day, when I heard the gospel being preached, um, it, like I mentioned a few weeks back, it was like thunder. And perhaps this was you. You remember the day that you, you, you came to meet the Lord Jesus. It was a wonderful day when your burdens were washed away. It was a wonderful day when you felt all of that, that sin melt off your shoulders and you thought to yourself that the God I used to fear and I wanted nothing with is now the God who has become my dearest friend, who has loved me and taken this burden away from me, and he loves me and welcomes me to his table. He calls me his child, and no one will ever snatch me out of his hands. It's a wonderful thing when a person comes to the Lord Jesus. It is a wonderful thing when a man or a woman is born again. Jesus would say in Matthew 13, 44, it's like a treasure hidden in the field which a man found and hid again, and from joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. You gladly and joyfully give up everything else to have Jesus. There's nothing better than it. Nothing compares to him and the sweet release that you experience when your sin falls from your shoulders. And yet there's this weird thing that happens. Over time, the joy of that gift of salvation, forsaking all to follow him, um, in in a sense becomes entitlement. I've served the Lord for so long. I've done all these things in the way that he's instructed. Jesus, I've given up everything to follow you. What is there for me? Peter says, behold, we have left everything and followed you. And then what then will there be for us? Grace no longer is viewed as such, but now is viewed as an obligation that God somehow is obligated to us. It's an experience, it's a phenomenon, we might say, in the Christian life, that we forget. We forget what the Lord has done. Again, the disciples had left everything and followed Jesus. Didn't they get to follow Jesus, you see? This is the first question. These are telling things. Were they forced to Jesus said, I'm telling you, I'm forcing you, you better follow me. He never says that. He says, follow me. And they drop their nets And they follow the Lord Jesus. I've heard it said that we give to God with a spoon and he gives back with a shovel. These disciples would receive glory in the life to come and great blessing now in this life. We might ask even this, did they really have to sacrifice it all? Remember Jim Elliot who said, he is no fool if he would give that which he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. That's not a fool. You've given up everything in this life, but you've gained this life and so much more because of Jesus Christ. Sometimes, friends, we lose sight of this. Sometimes we fall into the mindsets of entitlement. Sometimes we take the attitude of reminding the Lord what we have done for him, how we've suffered for him, and we like to remind him, God, you owe me this. We lose sight of this very fact that the Lord's grace is very, very great towards the sinner. And we make the gospel about us and our performance instead of the gospel being about our God and his grace to us. This is the point of this parable that Jesus tells in Matthew 20, verses 1 through 16. 
the parable of the laborers in the vineyard. Again, remember this, that a parable is an earthly story conveying a very uh, a spiritual meaning. A parable is a simple picture conveying a simple and single message. Uh, D.A. Carson said this about this particular parable. He says, what this parable is not saying, and people love to use these things. They take these parables and they make them say things that they don't actually say. Right? And so Carson, I appreciated this very much. You could see where somebody might even use a parable like this to, uh, to justify socialism. But that's not why this parable is here, to justify socialism. He says here, he says, The point is not that those who work just an hour do as much as those who work all day, nor that the willingness of the latecomers matches that of the all-day worker, nor that Gentiles are the latecomers in contrast to the Jews, nor that all men are equal before God or that all kingdom work is equal. He says, rather, if God's generosity was to be represented by a man, such a man would be different from any man ever encountered. In other words, the grace of the Lord is so extreme, so lavish, that you could never find an example of it anywhere else, not among men but only of God. Our problem is not that we think too highly of the Lord and his grace. It's that we think way too meanly of him and we think way too much of ourselves. And you look at this parable and you see this thing unfold before us. Again, it's, this, it's an earthly, understandable story conveying a very simple and wonderful truth. We have the parameters of this parable being chapter 19, verse 30, listen to this, but many who are first will be last and the last first. And then we jump over to chapter 20, verse 16, like a bookend, it says, so the last shall be first and the first last. And we actually come into this same phraseology in the middle of this parable. So this, uh, this verses 1 through 16 are explaining this verse, this idea to us. Um, it is significant, I believe, also, that it says many who are first will be last, and it does not say that all who are first will be last. I think that's a very interesting point there. There is not necessary, uh, a necessary correlation between being first now and last later, but many who are first, many who are first, many fall into this pattern of thought that Jesus is exposing. So here we come, verses 1 through 7, and we, we see here that the Lord calls his call comes at different times to different people. Listen again to this. And, and, and again, it's all predicated upon what Peter and, and the disciples have been saying. Behold, we have left everything and followed you. What then will there be for us? And again, Jesus said, Truly I say to you that you who have followed me in the regeneration, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you also shall sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or farms for my name's sake will receive many times as much and will inherit eternal life, but many who are first will be last and the last first. Jesus calls many different people at very different times, and notice what he does. Verses 1 through 7, um, we look at this first. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. When he had agreed with the laborers for a denarius for the day, he sent them into his vineyard. And he went out about the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to those he said, you also go into the vineyard, and whatever is right I will give you. 
And so they went. Again, he went out about the sixth and the ninth hour and did the same thing. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing around. And he said to them, Why have you been standing here idle all day long? They said to him, Because no one hired us. He said to them, You go into the vineyard too. His grace reaches all sorts of people at all sorts of times. He likens here the kingdom of heaven to a landowner. The gracious reign of God is like a landowner and how he has dealt with his employees. This is what heaven is like. And the summary is this. Again, the landowner went out early in the morning to hire laborers uh, for his vineyard. This man is rich. We might say filthy rich. He has an estate. He has this giant vineyard. And it's early morning, and he needs help. When I lived in Miami, Florida, there was a, a Home Depot that was not very far from our house where we lived. And I would go there early uh, in the morning on my days off so that I could go find the things I need and spend all day trying to fix a washer and a sink. Um, <clears throat> but I'd go out there, and when I would arrive at the Home Depot, there were migrants that would sleep in the bushes outside of Home Depot, and they would get up first thing in the morning, and they would stand out along the street, and contractors would drive up, and they would say, you, 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 they're looking for big, strong migrants to come and do drywall or do yard work or whatever it was, and so they would go. And so you, you kind of get a picture here that here's this, this um, landowner who's got this vast vineyard, and he needs help. So he goes out early in the morning, and he hires laborers, and they agree. They come and, and they agree that uh, they will work for, for one denarius or one denarii, denarii for a full day's work. And they get busy. They go and they start to work. And then it becomes apparent that they need more laborers. So that at the third hour, that is at 9 a.m., he goes, this rich landowner, to find more workers. So he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. He tells them to go into the vineyard, and he promises to do this, to give them whatever is right. He will not cheat them. So they went. Again, we see it repeated at the sixth hour and at the ninth hour. That would be at noon and at three in the afternoon. He goes, and he, he tells them to go to work, and I will give you what is right. And then finally, at the eleventh hour, which would be at our five o'clock in the afternoon, <clears throat> one hour before quitting time, he finds the man who is idle, and he puts him to work. Each of the laborers had something in common. This is an important point. They were all unemployed until the rich landowner came to them and gave them a job. They were all unemployed. Doesn't matter if no one's there to hire you, you're not going to get a job, and you're not going to get paid. What's key in this parable is understanding that the blessing resides in the hand of the landowner. It's not the guy who's standing on the street at 6 a.m. in the morning with his thumb up saying, can you hire me? If there's no jobs, there's no blessing. It's the landowner who seeks them out. It's the landowner who comes to them at 6, at 9, at 12, at 3, and at 5, and he gathers them in, and he says, come and work for me. I'll treat you right. I'll do what's just. I'll be fair. <clears throat> so the first group he hires, they are in the marketplace at 6 a.m., these people want to work. The others are said to be idle. That is, they're inactive. Where were they at 6 a.m.? Why weren't they up, right? It's awfully early to get up and work. I mean, I'm hungry. I'm desperate. 
but I'm not that hungry and desperate that I want to get up at 6 o'clock. So they're going to stay in bed uh, for an hour or two. They're inactive. They were in need of pay. They needed money. They would get recompensed. The first group hired at 6 a.m. agrees to a full day's labor for denarius. A denarius is a typical day's earning uh, among soldiers and day laborers. The others called to work are told that whatever is right, I will give you. I will give you what is correct or just, what is keeping with the time that you have, have worked. So he promises to give them at least what is proper, and he will not cheat them. The difference is that we see in these labors that some, as I alluded to, were in the marketplace at 6 a.m. to be hired. They were not slackers. They did not sleep in. Others were hired later, some at 9, some at 12, some at 3, and, and some at 5 o'clock, one hour before quitting time. Why they were idle, while uh, they needed the work, um, they say no one would hire us, which may mean um, we're kind of the undesirables. <laughs> Nobody wants us. And so while we were standing out there offering our services, people were looking at us go, yeah, no thanks. Here's the application. The Lord is the rich landowner. He comes to where we are. He calls to us. He redeems us from slavery to sin and puts us to work in his vineyard, the world. Here is the agreement. He tells us that we better count the cost of following him. Would you follow Jesus Christ? Would you follow Jesus Christ? He says, you'd better count the cost. Listen to Luke 14 verses 28 through 33. For which one of you, when he wants to build a tower, does not first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who observe it begin to ridicule him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, when he sets out to meet another king in battle, will not first sit down and consider whether he is strong enough with 10,000 men to encounter the one coming against him with 20,000? Or else, while the other is still far away, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace, so that none of you can be my disciple who does not give up all his own possessions. Count the cost, he says. What is the cost for following Jesus Christ? It is Considering the cost, understanding, calculating the cost that it's going to cost you personally to follow Jesus Christ. My friends, he's called you away from the world to follow him. Whatever path he calls you upon, that's where he's calling you. Are you ready for it? It was a wonderful hymn. Would Would we expect to be carried around on beds of flowers when those who went before us died? for the things of the Lord. A generation needs to understand what it means to lay your life down to follow Jesus Christ. He tells us, enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who enter through it, for the gate is small, and the way is narrow that leads to life, and there are few who find it. Matthew seven thirteen and 14. Again, following Jesus Christ is a narrow path. It's not popular. It will not be praised by the world. If you want to be popular with the world, you will be an enemy of God's. Can you cost, will you agree to that cost? 
He tells us that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. So we agree to these things. We agree. Lord, we will follow. We will, we will serve you. And then, and then, there is a day of recompense. There is a day of recompense. Again, listen to Matthew 19, verses 28 and 29, what Jesus says. And Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, that you who have followed me in the regeneration, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you also shall sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or fathers or mothers or children or farms for my name's sake will receive many times as much and will inherit eternal life. This is what Jesus is teaching, that there's laborers. And he he calls us into the vineyard and he says, now serve me. Well, Lord, what's in it for us? Narrow gates, um, tribulations, um, heat and burden and scorching sun. These are the things that I'm calling you to go work in the vineyard. We're in the Middle East. (laughs) You're not expecting a bed of roses, I hope. But I agree with you that I will give you a just recompense when you follow me. Some of you have walked with the Lord a long time, early in your lives where you've raised your children You've lived lives that, uh, of, of sacrifice. You've entered into the service of the great king and you serve faithfully. You've not gotten sidetracked by the world, by Vanity Fair. And others have come to the Lord at different times, some at 20 or 30 or 40 years old and some not until the 11th hour, 70 or 80. And yet the Lord in his timing, the Lord in his wisdom brought you to himself You were at one time living and loving the world and its pleasures. But at just the right time, you heard the voice of the Savior saying, Sinner, come to me and find your rest. And you came. And you serve. And you look at the wasted time in your life. And you came and you trusted the Lord. And he is doing what is right. And he will recompense you as he sees fit. Friends, uh, with this we see it may seem um, that some coming late to the Lord in life would be of no use to the Lord. And, and this is the marvelous thing about this. As we look at the church, as we consider the body of Christ, we look around us and we see a variety of people. My brother Tim here, who's just turned 57, he's six months older than me, and we grew up uh, in the same type of culture. We listened to the same music. We had the same, uh, all sorts of cultural things. And we get together and we talk and we laugh. My brother Tim had a very different time frame in his life than I had. I doubt very much that Tim and I would have been friends if we were back in high school. He had a circle and I had no circle. (laughs) I was a Napoleon Dynamite. Um... And yet what's beautiful is we can sit down and enjoy a cheeseburger and have wonderful fellowship. And I'm talking to a fellow laborer in the Lord. Very different paths. Very different timetables in our lives. And yet called of the Lord into the service of our, of our God in the vineyard. 
It's a wonderful thing, and the Lord calls us at different times to di- uh, at different times uh, from different circumstances, calling different people. And we are all, all of us, enlisted to serve the Lord. But as was already said, so often we make the gospel about us and our performance, but in truth, it is not about us at all, but about the Lord and His grace. This is what this is where this parable starts to get very interesting. Because this is where I find many Christians fall. And, and many, many who are first will be last and the last first. Because we forget it was the landowner who sought out the people and brought them into his service. If it weren't for the landowner, they wouldn't have been brought into the service. So in one sense, we're all the same, aren't we? We are. Here, as Jesus goes on, we see in verses 8 through 15 just how generous the Lord is. He is so generous that undeserving people receive the riches of heaven. Listen to verses 8 through 15. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last group to the first. When those hired about the eleventh hour came, each one received a denarius. When those hired first came, they thought that they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they grumbled at the landowner. That should strike us. They grumbled at the landowner, saying, These last men have worked only an hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden and the scorching heat of the day. But he answered and said to one of them, Friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what is yours and go. But I wish to give to the last man the same as to you. Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with what is my own? Or is your eye envious because I am generous? So the last shall be first and the first last. The Lord is generous. It's a great lesson. Again, the owner of the vineyard instructs the foreman to pay out the wages beginning with the last people hired. The guys brought in at 5 o'clock in the afternoon. Then he's instructed to pay out those who came at 3 and then at 12 and then at 9. And then at last, um, he is supposed to pay those who had come in at 6 a.m. who have been there all day, who have been there all day and then and borne the burden and the scorching heat. So the foreman, he calls them out. You. You come over here. You were here at uh, what time? Five o'clock, sir. Uh, very good. Hold out your hand. He holds out his hand, and in his hand, he plops this shiny little denarius in his hand. Are you sure about this? I mean, I've only been here an hour. Nope, it's what the landowner said. Pay you the full amount. Oh, this is wonderful. And then the next guy who came at five, he holds out his hand thinking, oh, this isn't going to be good. And he sees a nice shiny denarius stuck in his hand, and he goes, really? Yep, the landowner. He's a good guy. And then he says, you who came at three o'clock, you come in here. And they're thinking, three o'clock, man, that's, that's three hours more than that last guy. Huh. And he starts doing the math in his head. He's like, I'm going to get at least two denarius probably. He holds out his hand, and the guy puts a shiny denarius in his hand, and he goes, 
hey, <laughs> I thought I was supposed, I thought I'd be getting more. And then it's the worst. And so as it gets to the guys at the bottom, they're thinking to themselves, at uh, Denarius for an hour, I've been here 12 hours. I've worked my tail off. I'm hot. I've got blisters on my hands. This better be good. And the form, he comes to the form and holds out his hands and he gets a nice shiny denarius right in the hand. And what does he do? He grumbles. Hey, this isn't fair. This isn't right. This isn't what should be happening. I think there's an important point here. Had the order been reversed, had he paid the earliest guys first, the hardworking, diligent types, they might miss the lesson. They might have uh, gotten... Uh, gotten their pay and gone home thinking this was all about them and what they deserved and would miss the graciousness of the landowner. But they have these great expectations and their great expectations are made met with great disappointment. Again, if that bum can get a denarius for just an hour, the guy who came late, the guy who was idle, the guy who didn't bother to get out of bed, the guy who's the undesirable, if he can get a denarius, certainly me, being diligent, deserves a whole lot more. Does that ever sound like you, Christian? I've lived a pretty good life. I'm deserving of more. I was trying to think about this for the children. Imagine if you had to help your dad clean out the garage, and it was the worst job ever. You had to clean out the garage, old oil, old car parts. You had to sweep it, and you don't know where to put the junk. And he says, pile it in the back of the truck. We're going to have to run it to the dump. I want you to go sweep, and I want you to sort through those assorted washers, nuts, and bolts on the back bench. And afterwards, we're going to get an ice big ice cream cone. And just about 30 minutes before the job is done, your cousin ends up coming over to the house, and dad is spraying things off with the hose and, and the cousin's out there holding a shovel while dad sprays him with the hose and then he hands him an ice cream, uh, a popsicle too. And you go, he didn't do anything. He stood and held a shovel while you played and squirted him with the hose. He didn't do anything. And you gave him a popsicle just like you gave us a popsicle. This isn't fair. Have you had, any of you ever experienced something like this? You're like, this is not right. I work hard. I deserve more. Did you forget? You wouldn't have anything had the landowner not come and sought you out. And this is the way it becomes in the church. And people who have tasted of the good things of the Lord, and you've agreed for a denarius for the day's labor, and you've endured hardship, and yes, you've made sacrifice, and you've suffered persecution, and Jesus says to you, but did you not agree to this? Did you not sign up for this? Why are you upset when I gave you exactly what I told you you were going to get? And why are you upset if I should give something good to somebody who is, in your estimation, not as deserving? And you want to know why? Because we have forgotten what grace is about. It is about God's riches bestowed upon unworthy people. And every one of these guys who went out to work was an unworthy person who deserved nothing. And it was only because of the grace of the master that any of them got anything And that's the way it is in the church. 
That's the way it is. He gives them a gentle rebuke. Friend, he calls them. He did not do wrong to them. They agreed to one denarii for the day. Take what is yours and go, but I wish to give to the last fellow what I have also given to you. And then this is key. Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with what is my own, or is your eye envious because I am generous? You see, there's the gospel. It's not about what you and I are doing. It's about what the Lord does. He's generous. I'm the Lord. I haven't done wrong to you. I am rich. Don't I have the right to do what is mine, to give what I want to whom I want? If I want to give this fellow who only labored an hour a full day's pay, can't I do that? Or is your eye evil, envious of the fact that I am generous, that I am gracious, and that I am good. But many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. This parable exposes to us some very dark things in our hearts. Many who are first will be last because many start the race joyfully, but then become focused on themselves. What was once a joy, what was once purpose and direction has become replaced with entitlement. I deserve more. See what all I have sacrificed for you, God. You see all the burden and the scorching heat I have endured. You owe me more because I have done more for you. That's not grace. The fact that you are sitting here in Jesus Christ is the greatest gift you will ever have. And friends, you will never know until we die and go to glory how lavish his grace actually is. But we fall into that entitlement mindset. And you know what it does? It makes us bitter. It makes us angry. It makes us intolerant. It causes us to do all sorts of things because we're no longer debtors of grace. We're debtors to our hard work. And everyone needs to know about it because I'm that kind of guy. And that's not the gospel. You know what that is? That's called self-righteousness. We forget, and it hurts. It hurts everyone. Upset about this guy who's sowing his wild oats, it was amazing to me. I was thinking about it. just a strange little thing. You know, you sit there and you think sometimes, Alice Cooper. Remember some of you gray hairs <laughs> remember Alice Cooper, right? A wonderful brother in the Lord these days. Who would have thought? The lead singer of Corn, Brian Welch, I think is his name. Wonderful Christian man. He looks scary as all get out. <laughs> but a wonderful brother in the Lord. Little Richard. Also a Christian man in the Lord. Well, have you ever seen Alice Cooper's show where he puts a boa constrictor around his neck and, and, and sings, schools out for summer? Have you ever seen those things? He can't, well, he's not nearly... He came at the 11th hour, and the Lord called him in. 
And that man, I'm, he's got a legitimate testimony. You listen to him. He hits all the things about sin and sorrow and destruction and grace. Same with Brian Welch. It's a wonderful thing to see how the Lord brings people in at the times he brings them in and how he bestows upon them not what they deserve, but that which the Lord was pleased to bestow upon them. Friends, that's the gospel. That's the gospel. When we exalt ourselves from recipients of grace to those who deserve grace, we then shrink the generosity of our God down to what he owes us. And if we want to talk about what he owes us, I'm afraid that's a story that's not going to end well at all for any of us. Because what he owes us justly is the fire of hell. And what he graciously lavishes upon unworthy people is life and blessing. This passage serves, my friends, as a caution to us who have left everything and followed Jesus. Yes, you've given up much, but you have gained so much more in return. And your Lord, our Lord, will not forget us on that final day. Be careful not to miss the great grace of our loving Savior towards you. You would have nothing had he not given it to you. Your life, your family, your goods, your salvation, it is all of God's generosity toward us. If you're not careful, you'll slip into the thinking that you're deserving of more uh, than others and that others are less deserving than you. And that is heresy. And that we need to be careful of. We ought to continue to serve him willingly and faithfully with perseverance. So I have this, this thought. How is it then that because he says many, many who are first will be last and the last will be first. How do you keep yourself from being many falling into that camp? It's understanding that you came into the vineyard by the grace of the Lord. And it's understanding that your service of the king of kings is a gracious act in itself because you have the Lord. I thought about this one time when I was reading through, I think it was Leviticus, and they were talking about the Levites and how, or maybe it was Numbers, and they, they didn't get the land assigned to them. And I'm thinking, those poor priests, they don't get a piece of land. Everyone else gets land, but the Levites, they don't get, the, they don't get land. And I thought, you knucklehead, they get to serve in the temple. That's their privilege. I said, they, you shouldn't feel sorry for them. You should go, man. That would be awesome to serve in the temple of the Lord. You see, we, we, we start to feel as though we're entitled somehow. And we shouldn't go down that path. Everything we have is of the grace of the Lord. And so how do we keep from becoming one of those many? We recognize what the Lord has done in our lives. We continue to serve him with gratitude. And we thank him for anything he brings across our path. That's the parable. And that's what the disciples need to be mindful of. I'm going to take care of you, fellas. <laughs> but like we read in John 21, but some of you are going to be led away and die on a cross. Peter's choice, hang me upside down. I'm not privileged to die like my Lord. Or some will live long with attempts on their lives to kill them, like John. 
the disciple whom Jesus loved, all of them were recipients of grace, and they should serve the Lord uh, from that standpoint. Let's pray. Father, again, we thank you for your grace to us. We ask your forgiveness for when we grumble. You told us, Lord, what we could expect. And you have not disappointed, but your word is faithful. We pray, Father, that you'll forgive us when we feel sorry for ourselves. We ask that you'll forgive us when we develop in our minds this entitlement mindset that we are so deserving of so much more when all that we deserve is is your wrath. But we praise you for your kindness to us. We praise you for Jesus Christ. We praise you that he took upon himself what we deserved and gave to us what he deserved. Father, we ask that you would keep us uh, from these sour mindsets and that we would rejoice again in your grace. We now pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.